Take ORFM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air. Between 1908 and 1938, 130 young Anglo-Indians were sent to New Zealand. They were the mixed-race children of British tea planters and Indian women, raised in a Presbyterian mission school in northeast India and sent as workers to families all over New Zealand. Separated from their parents and their places of birth, the Kalimpong kids went on to blend into local communities and seldom spoke of their Indian heritage. My name is Jane McCabe, I'm a historian, and my grandmother was one of the Kalimpong emigrants. In this series, I'll be discussing the Kalimpong scheme and the journeys of many descendants to uncover their hidden family histories with my colleague Pauline Martins. Along the way, we'll be talking about some images from my new book, which brings together photographs from family collections all over New Zealand to tell an amazing visual story. The photographs we refer to are all available on the Otago Access Radio website. So Jane, where did the story begin for you? What's your connection? Uh, so it's a family connection. Uh, so my grandmother was one of the Kalimpong immigrants, uh, but this was something that we uh, didn't know uh, until 2007. So wow. for all of my growing up, this was uh, something of a mysterious family background. So my grandmother, uh, Lorna, uh, was born in India, so we knew that she was born in India, uh, we knew that her mother was Indian, and we knew that her father was a tea planter in Assam. Now the family story was that the mother had died young, uh, and the children had been sent uh, to an orphanage, so she had two siblings. But what we didn't know was how she and her, her two siblings ended up in New Zealand, and not just in New Zealand, but right down south in Dunedin, um, in the 1920s. So it was in 2007 when I was planning a trip to India that this all changed. So I'd always had that desire to go to India because I knew that I, I had a connection there. And it was when I was in the final stages of planning that trip that I visited my dad, who by that time was living in uh, the house that Lorna had spent most of her adult life in. So she died in 1978 and she'd never spoken about her Indian heritage. So when I asked Dad uh, this question, he uh, brought out a packet of photos that I hadn't seen before. Now that packet of photos had Kalimpong School written on the outside. This was a word that I'd never heard before, this word Kalimpong. Uh, and inside there were two photos, uh, and one of them uh, is a photo that we'll uh, talk about today, so that's on the website. And this is a photo of a group of girls, maybe about 30 girls, all dressed in white, standing in front of a building. Uh, and it was um, annotated Woodburn Cottage, and on the back of the photo it had the names of all of the girls. So we could see that Lorna Peters, so that's my grandmother's maiden name was Peters, so Lorna was standing on the far right with her hand on her hip, uh, and her younger sister Alice was in the front row. So we knew that this was uh, definitely connected to Lorna's childhood, uh, and that word 
Kalimpong turned out to be key. So I was in the in the throes of planning my trip. So I had a copy of the Lonely Planet with me. I looked up Kalimpong, uh, and I saw um, that there was a school there uh, that was uh, opened for the mixed race children of tea planters. So this was a very good clue for me to follow. What an amazing discovery. Um, and you visited Kalimpong. Whereabouts is it? So, yes, I added five days in Kalimpong to my itinerary. Uh, so Kalimpong is in the foothills of the Himalayas. It's very close to the tea planting districts of Darjeeling and Assam, which some people may have heard of. Uh, so that in itself uh, made sense with um, knowing that Lorna's uh, father had uh, lived on a tea plantation in Assam. So I went there uh, at the end of my India trip uh, and it was quite an intrepid journey to uh, get up into the foothills of uh, the Himalayas. And actually the day that I arrived in Kalimpong, it turned out to be Gandhi's birthday, so it was a public holiday, so so the school wasn't open, so I had a, a very anxious kind of wait for one whole day uh, to wait um, for the school to be open. Um, but so I went there the next day uh, and they were, I had the photo with me uh, and the staff at the school were able to immediately confirm that yes, um, I was in the right place. And what else did you find out there? Yes, so it was a, an amazing two days um, of discovery, really. So as in a lot of Indian institutions, um, the school kept amazing records. So it's still open today. It functions as a, as a good school for students from all over India, uh, as well as um, local children. So the first thing I saw was the admissions book. So they have a copy of the original admissions book with the name of every student uh, who's been there since 1900. So that was the first thing I did was to find my grandmother's name in the admissions book, which was amazing. Uh, and I was later taken to uh, the school office, which has kept also a personal file for every single student who has ever been through that school. So her personal file had all of the letters that had ever been written about her or by her. So there were even uh, letters uh, written by her in her little house in Pine Hill in Dunedin wow. uh, back to Kalimpong in later years. So that uh, family information was really amazing. Uh, but equally amazing was to make the discovery that she was part of a bigger scheme. And so when I was growing up and I had this mysterious family background, it never occurred to me that Lorna would, would, was part of something bigger. So the way that I, I got a sense of that was through looking at the school magazines. So in the um, in the school museum, they had bound copies of all of these school magazines, which I thought, I mean, I thought of my own school magazine when I was at school, which was lots of photos of kids doing their activities. But this was more like a fundraising vehicle for the institutions. So it was very well-produced publication. But the thing that really startled me was all of these um, photos of young people in New Zealand. Um, for example, there was a, um, a story and a photo about young men milking cows in Middlemarch and complaining about the frosty mornings. So I grew up in Mosgiel, so to be, you know, I'd been on a big trip across India, here I was in the foothills of the Himalayas and I'm reading about something very close to home. Um, so yes, two things, the family story but also discovering that she was part of a bigger scheme. 
So can you tell us a little bit more about the school and its founder? Yes, so um, there was a short history that had been produced that I um, brought away with me from the school and read very quickly. Uh, So the school was founded by a Scottish Presbyterian missionary uh, who was the Reverend Dr John Anderson Graham. So he'd actually been working in the Kalimpong mission for about 10 years before he opened uh, what became known as Dr Graham's Homes in 1900. So from 1890 he was working in that area and part of his job was to go out to tea plantations and visit British tea planters and just make sure that they were okay basically and it was in the course of those visits that he discovered that many of them were in relationships with local women uh, and had mixed race children from those um, relationships so it was during those visits that he became aware of the problem of these families and, and kind of became determined that he was going to try to help to solve that problem. And why was that? What was the problem that he was trying to address? So I guess the main problem was that these relationships were totally socially unacceptable at the time. Uh, They were regarded as somewhat inevitable and kind of an open secret locally. So people knew that they happened, um, but because they were so socially unacceptable, uh, the planters weren't able to marry the woman. And although they had uh, quite a, I think, quite a stable family existence when the children were young, there was always this problem of the children's future. So the tea planters always returned to England, so this was just a career for them in India. Um, And so when they inevitably left India, that would leave uh, the the woman that they had been cohabiting with, um, but also the children, in quite a vulnerable situation. And so John Graham believed that these children, because they had British fathers and had British blood flowing in their veins, uh, deserved an education and a future. And can you just um, clarify for us, you talked about fundraising before. Was it the Presbyterian Church that help to fund the scheme? So actually they didn't. So John Graham was part of the Kalimpong Mission, um, which was uh, a Church of England organisation. But the church, so no church organisation wanted to officially be associated with the, um, the scheme to take tea planters' children and provide a solution for tea planters. And that was because they didn't want to be seen to be providing uh, a solution to um, the tea planters' bad behaviour. Their immoral behaviour was the cause of this problem, uh, so they didn't want to be uh, making that easier for them at all. So the church didn't provide any funding, uh, but certainly they had a strong unofficial connection Uh, So the school was actually funded by tea planters. So the tea planters paid fees for their children. Uh, There was some support from the local government in India, so the Bengali government. Uh, And also a lot of uh, charitable organisations provided funding for John Graham as well. So he was known as a tireless fundraiser. So he ran this scheme for the the rest of his life. Uh, He was in Kalimpong for 50 years. And I think um, probably all of that time he was writing letters to people and putting out this magazine trying to raise funds to, um, to be able to continue the scheme and to provide for those children. 
We have a photo of John Graham with two pupils at Kalimpong. It looks like a really nice place. Yes, it does. And I think that was uh, certainly what he was, the image he was trying to project with the photos that were used. So this photo is a good example of one that would have been in the school magazine. Uh, so this is part of the promotion of the place. Um, but it actually is a nice place. It still is. So, so John Graham was very keen to avoid any kind of association with his institution uh, with this idea of the, Vic the Victorian orphanage, those austere concrete buildings that we might associate with, with an institution. So he always had this idea that the children would have uh, lots of area, area to run free. So the school uh, took up an area of about 600 acres eventually, so it sits on the hillside above the township of Kalimpong. And the children, instead of being housed in a big concrete building, were housed in cottages. So there was this idea that they would have a kind of a family existence, uh, albeit not with their birth families. So by, by the 1920s, there were 20 cottages, there was a working farm, there was a bakery, a hospital, a swimming pool. So the idea was that it was a, a, a big self-sufficient place where the children were able to run free, but they were also, um, there was a, a very clear boundary around the school to protect them from outside influences. And did the children work on the farm? They did. So the children had very busy lives. So, so Graham wanted to keep them away from what he described as injurious native influence. So he didn't want to have any Indian workers at the school. So that meant, so the children were cared for by house mothers who came from all over the British Empire to perform that role. Um, but apart from the teachers and the house mothers and John Graham and other support staff, all of the work was actually done by the children. So right from the, the you know, from when they're five years old, they had uh, very set chores that they needed to complete in the morning before school. So they got up and lit the fires and cooked breakfast and then they had a, a normal school day. But they also had all of this practical training uh, to prepare them for life in the colonies. So working on the farm was part of that. Uh, for the girls, they would help out with the younger children as training for uh, being nannies in New Zealand as well. So it was a very well thought out scheme really for educating those children in all sorts of ways for a, for a colonial future. It looks like he had quite close contact with the children too. Yes, so I guess that's another thing that's communicated in that photo. He has his uh, hand on the shoulder of those two boys and I think he did have uh, very affectionate relationships with the children. So it comes through quite clearly in the record that uh, the children, most of the children referred to him as Daddy Graham. So even though he may not have known them all by name, uh, there certainly was um, a, an affectionate bond formed there. I mean, the other interesting thing we might notice in the photo is that those boys are very well dressed, but they have bare feet. And so this was something that um, Graham always insisted that the children went without shoes. Uh, so Kalimpong is quite a quite a cold place, unlike other parts of India. It does have a winter, uh, and it does get quite cold, but uh, Graham himself was raised in the Scottish Highlands, and, and he had very strong ideas about the remedial benefits of being hardy and being out in the fresh air. So it was also a cost-saving measure to not have to provide all of the children with shoes. What was the thinking behind the um, immigration scheme? 
Yes, so originally um, Graham's plan was really built around this idea of sending the children to the settler colonies. So there were other institutions in India at this time that dealt with this problem of Anglo-Indian children. Um, but the, the thing that um, made his scheme distinct was that he wanted to send them out of India and he wanted to target labour shortages in places like New Zealand um, where farm workers and domestic servants were were very much needed at this time. So his, his belief was any concerns about um, the ancestry of the children, so having Indian ancestry, would be overcome by the benefit that they would bring by being disciplined workers, um, performing tasks that uh, other migrants to New Zealand maybe didn't want to do. So initially he was very much open to uh, all of the settler colonies being destinations for the children from Kalimpong, um, but as it turned out New Zealand was the only place in the empire or anywhere that accepted groups from Kalimpong, so this is very much a New Zealand story. How long did this go on? Yes, so the first two boys arrived in Dunedin in 1908 uh, and they were followed by another two in 1909 and they were placed uh, with farming families uh, around Dunedin. And then in 1909, John Graham visited Dunedin himself um, because he'd heard great things about New Zealand and about Dunedin in particular because of the Presbyterian community there. So he had um, a, a quite a close contact in Otago, Reverend Ponder. Um, so he wanted to visit the Ponders, to have a look at Dunedin for himself and to see how those boys were going on the farms. And he also brought with him the first young woman from Kalimpong to be placed as a domestic servant um, with a, a Dunedin household, with a Dunedin family. So there was, as you might imagine, there was particular concern about sending young women out into this distant place. So when he was here, um, he met with some local women and they formed what they called a ladies' committee to help to look after um, more young women that could be sent from Kalimpong. Uh, so from there, there was the first big group of 12 that were sent uh, in 1912, they arrived in early 1913 and that was something that was announced with um, great joy in the Homes magazine, so in the school magazine uh, and over the course of 30 years 130 young people were sent from Kalimpong, firstly to Dunedin and then to Wellington. This was also the subject of your PhD. That's right. So I had my I had my big trip of um, discovery in 2007, uh, and I returned to New Zealand with uh, the letters um, from my grandmother's personal file, and then I started to look at options for making this an academic topic because my feeling was um, I'd done a history degree in the early, well, so in the mid-1990s I had finished a history degree and I'd done quite a bit of New Zealand history and this was something I'd never heard of. So I did think perhaps I'd stumbled across something that was an important part of New Zealand history that wasn't known about. So I, uh, in 2009 I came back to the University of Otago and I did an honours dissertation on my family story. So looking particularly at my family and that went very well, and I was quite convinced that this academic pathway uh, was a good one to follow for pursuing this story. So 
In 2011, I began a PhD, uh, and that was to look at the bigger scheme, so to uh, meet other descendants of those 130 young people who were sent to New Zealand. Um, So as part of that project, and this is ongoing, I've met hundreds of descendants from all over New Zealand. Um, I finished my PhD in 2014, and I did a book with Bloomsbury uh, based on the PhD, but I had always wanted to do uh, a photo book because when I'm um, when I was visiting people all over New Zealand, most of them would have one or two photos. Uh, some of them had uh, whole albums of photos that made um, a really amazing visual story. So that's what this new book is all about: uh, to bring together those photos and to tell uh, a collective visual story. Thank you, Jane. Um, I look forward to discussing some of the photographs from the plantations in the next episode. Thank you. You've been listening to the Kalimpong Kids podcast. To listen to other episodes in this series, please go to the Otago Access Radio website at www.oar.org.nz. If you would like to know more about the Kalimpong Kids, you can visit my website at www.kalimpongkids.org.nz. My new book is called Kalimpong Kids, The New Zealand Story in Pictures. It is available at all good bookstores or through the Otago University Press website. FM Dunedin with you wherever you go with podcasts and streaming of primo local content. Download the accessmedia.nz app for free from Google Play and the Apple App Store. This program was first broadcast on ORFM Dunedin and made with the assistance of New Zealand On Air.